0: Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. I am Jane Grainer and I'm the senior pastor.
1: And I'm Wesley McCall. I'm the music director. And we want to welcome everyone
0: who is worshiping with us today, either online or here in our sanctuary. We're going to be asking during our service later on, when is it good news to be called a snake? Well, it's when you're waiting for the, for the Christ child to come. So join us later for our message I also invite you at this time, if you have not done so already this week, to make an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org, through our church center app, or through, uh, by, by mailing a check and mailing it to the church. We also will have a collection plate back at the back of the sanctuary to collect your offerings for those who are here today. I want to make sure you all know about that we will be here for Christmas Eve candlelight service live online and live here in our sanctuary. And that'll be Christmas Eve at 7 p.m. And I hope to see many of you here as possible. It'll be great to have a Christmas Eve candlelight service where we actually have people in the room. Won't that be great? For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of Hosts will do this.
1: We light this candle as a symbol of the Prince of Peace. May the visitation of your Holy Spirit, O God, make us ready for the coming of Jesus, our hope and joy.
0: O come, O come, Emmanuel.
1: Please join me in our opening prayer.
0: Lord Lord God, God, in in the season of Advent, remind us that we have always always been your your people, a people you created, called, and redeemed, redeemed. remembering our sacred story Seeing your presence among us now, may we remember that we are an Advent people who wait for your kingdom to be revealed. Prepare us, O Lord, that we may become your instruments of grace and mercy in the world. Amen. And now my prayer for both those of you online and those of you here in the sanctuary. Peace be with you. And also,
1: Please join me in our prayer for illumination.
0: Speak Speak to to us, us, Lord. Speak speak to us in in the the waiting, the the watching, the the hoping, the the longing, the the sorrow, the sighing, the rejoicing. Speak speak to us by your word in these Advent Advent days and walk with with us until until your your coming.
1: Amen. Our first set of scriptures comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John, and all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed and began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered and said, What then will this child become? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. Our next reading comes from Luke chapter 3. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet of Isaiah. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of the repentance. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God. One of the great blessings of experiencing a batch of cold weather is that we can look forward to multiple new potholes in the roads in the following weeks afterwards. I remember after last February's winter storm, I saw some potholes that could be better described as sinkholes, and it's always so much fun when the potholes in the I-35 are being repaired. They block an entire lane of traffic during the middle of the day, and then suddenly it takes me twice as long to get anywhere that I need to go. But evidently, potholes are a nuisance in every country in the world. I remember a few years ago seeing a news report from the city of Panama City where the potholes were so severe that one of their news channels came up with a creative way to complain about them. At the bottom of dozens of the worst potholes all over the city, the news channel had put little buttons at the bottom of the pothole, that would automatically send a Twitter message to the city every time a wheel banged into that pothole. And as a result of this avalanche of Twitter complaints, the city finally started to systematically fix the potholes. And so in light of our never-ending struggle against potholes, wouldn't it be good news if someone said to you, every valley shall be filled And every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. Now, of course, the coming of Jesus Christ is the ultimate good news. But before Jesus started his public ministry, there was the good news that John the Baptist brought us. Now, granted, hearing someone say, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, that may not sound like good news, but it really is. John had come to announce the coming of the one who was more powerful, the one who would baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, over the season of Advent, we have been exploring the stories there in the Gospel of Luke, the very first chapter. And to review the story so far, one day the priest Zechariah was serving the temple when there appeared to him the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel told him that in their old age, he and his wife Elizabeth would finally have the child that they had been praying for, and they were to name him John. And John would be great in the eyes of God, and he would prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel how he, he could know that this would take place. And as a result, Gabriel said that Zechariah would be mute until the birth of his son. When Zechariah returned home, he and his wife Elizabeth conceived a child, who we would later come to know as John the Baptist, and Elizabeth was so overjoyed and awed by this gift that she stayed in seclusion for five months, just contemplating just the magnitude of everything that had happened to her. Well, six months after Elizabeth conceived, that same angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, He was an engaged virgin living in the Galilean village of Nazareth. And the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, causing her to conceive a son, And her son would be called the son of God, who would reign over the house of Jacob forever. And Gabriel then told Mary that her relative Elizabeth was also pregnant, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary replies, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Well, a few days later, Mary arrives at the house of Zachariah and Elizabeth, and as soon as Elizabeth heard the voice of Mary, the child within her womb leaped for joy. Even in utero, little John the Baptist was proclaiming the coming of the Lord. So in her joy, Elizabeth began to prophesy, calling Mary blessed among all women, and Mary replied in a song, the first Christmas song ever written, in her song, The Magnificat, that God would bring down the powerful, lift up the lowly, and fill the hungry. Now, when the story resumes, it's now three months later. And now Elizabeth's pregnancy has come to term, and she gives birth now to her long-awaited son. And all her neighbors and all her friends, they're just all overjoyed for her. And they all come back to the house on the eighth day, which was the day that little Zachariah, and Elizabeth's son was set to be circumcised. Now, verse 59 says, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. And I was kind of thinking, who's they? In this case, I guess it refers to their relatives and neighbors. And I think the Greek can actually be translated that they were already calling the child Zechariah. And I always thought this was awfully presumptuous on the part of the friends and neighbors to be naming the child Zechariah already. And it reminds me of a story that was handed down in my family During World War I, my grandfather was a field artillery captain in the army, and he served at Camp Bowie in Fort Worth before being shipped overseas, over over to France, and while he was gone, my grandmother gave birth to their first child and named him Walter, after my grandfather. But before my grandfather could return from the war, little Walter died. And I often thought what it must have been like for my grandmother to lose her only firstborn child while her husband is off at war. Well, years later, after giving birth to two daughters, my grandmother gave birth to my father. And since little Walter had died as a baby, the doctor assumed that they were going to name their new son, Walter, after his father. At this suggestion, uh, my grandmother became furious and said, I had a Walter Jr. and I lost him. This son will be named Stanley. And so I come, sometimes wonder if it was that same sense of aggravation then that Elizabeth might have corrected her neighbors and her relatives and saying, no, 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 he's called John. Well, they reply, none of your relatives are named John. And so evidently the wife's assertion that the child should be named John was not good enough for them. So they went to ask the father, but remember, Zechariah now has been mute for the last nine months. So he asked for a writing tablet, and on that tablet he writes, his name is John. Now notice that Zechariah does not say that he will be called John. He says that his name is John. And so finally it seems that Zechariah is finally fully bought into that message that was initially brought to him by the angel Gabriel nine months ago. And now his muteness over these last nine months it has been kind of a result of a failure of imagination. But this muteness has also, though, ended up being a time of grace and blessing for Zechariah because it's been a time of incredible spiritual growth for him. And so now that Zechariah has taken this leap of faith, finally his mouth is opened and he begins to prophesy.
1: Right. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and has redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors. And has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace.
0: Well, like the Magnificat of Mary that we explored last week, Zachariah's song provides a pause in the action and a time of commentary for the meaning on it all. And traditionally, Zachariah's song is called the Benedictus. And it's the first word of the song in Latin, which we translate as blessing. Now, Zechariah begins by praising God for all the faithfulness that the Lord has shown Israel and how the promises made to Abraham have now been fulfilled. By sending a mighty Savior, the Lord has rescued God's people from from, uh, their enemies so that they might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness. Then Zechariah's song turns to the future of his own son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. And as Wesley read earlier in the final verse of this first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke informs us that John grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, as a son of a priest, John could also have been a priest. In fact, John was probably born into a rather affluent, well-known family as being part of a priestly family. But it looks like John didn't want to be part of anything so conventional as a priestly family. So instead, he goes off to the wilderness, where evidently he stayed up until the time he started his public ministry. Now, we think, scholars think, that he may have been a member of the Desert Monastery of the Essenes. And the Essenes is the same group of people that we think wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, This group, the Essenes, they rejected the temple in Jerusalem and they practiced kind of an immersion ritual that was similar to baptism then that John would later practice. And if he was ever a member of the Essenes, though, John seemed to have left that group and now started his own ministry there in the desert, in the wilderness. And all I can think of is that John's preaching, it must have been mesmerizing. I mean, he just cajoled his listeners to change the way they lived, to repent. And many people, all different types of people for different walks of life, came to hear John, and they were all deeply moved by his message. And they implored him, what then should we do? If you have two coats, give one away. Share your food with those who have none. If you're a tax collector, don't force people to pay more taxes than they actually owe. And if you're a soldier, don't extort money from others. Be content with the wages that you have been given. John was so compelling that many people wondered if he was the Messiah. No. There was another one coming who would offer a baptism of Holy Spirit and of fire. John was just a prophet. John was commissioned to fulfill the words of Isaiah and prepare the way of the Lord. And I think we too are tasked with preparing for the coming of the Lord. As we anticipate the birth of Christ, we prepare for his coming by the acts of repentance for which John called his crowd. Even if we have now been baptized with the baptism of Christ, we're still called to these regular acts of confession and repentance. What then should we do? Ask the tax collectors and the soldiers. And we can also ask, what then should we do? Sometimes it can seem too much to make massive changes in our lives. And sometimes that need to change maybe multiple areas of our lives can actually lead us to be kind of sometimes paralyzed and quite, you know, not, not quite sure what it is that we should do next. So in a way, John kind of recommends that we start Small. If you've got an extra coat, give it away. In fact, I read this, and to, be, to confess myself, I get embarrassed with how many coats I have. And I can't wear them all at once. Um, share the food that's on your table. That's simple. Don't use your position of power, whatever that may be, and whatever that might look like, to extort money or favor from someone whom you're supposed to be serving. In whatever way you find yourself in, in life, whatever place you find yourself, find ways to decrease the harm and increase the good. Start small if you have to. But small changes in time can lead to great differences. And so if you ask John, what then should I do, what do you think John would say back to you? Think about that. What then should I do? What do you think John would say? In many ways, John's mission is our mission to prepare the way of the Lord. In the end, only God can save, however. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot save others. If you've ever tried to, you know that does not work. The best we can do is to partner with God by pointing to Christ. We can prepare the way of the Lord by proclaiming the gospel with our lips... But even more importantly, we can prepare the way of the Lord by proclaiming the gospel, by the way we live, and by the way that we love. We can lead lives of repentance that then can become an example for others and an inspiration for hope. All of us are called to participate in the preparation in the coming of the Lord by working to make God's paths straight and easy to follow to fill in the valleys, and to bring down the mountains, to straighten out those crooked places, and to smooth out the rough places. Because we're all called to fill in the potholes of life. When we make it our mission to prepare for God's mission, then we get to be part of Christ's glorious appearance. And we get to be part of God's saving redemption in the world. And I find that very exciting and very motivating. So in a world that can seem so full of darkness right now, we can have the faith of Zechariah. And he concludes his song with these words. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So listen to that voice that's crying in the wilderness, guiding our feet Into the way of peace. For Christ is coming soon. Therefore, prepare the way of the Lord. Amen. And so now, with the confidence that we have as the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth. us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Remind you that your action item for this week is to continue to pray for Trinity, and to get our building completed, and then to be able to ask yourself at some time during this week, what then should I do? to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Again, for those of you who are here in person, there is a collection plate at the back of the sanctuary. And don't forget our Christmas Eve candlelight service, 7 o'clock, Christmas Eve, both online, Facebook Live, and here in the sanctuary. And now receive this benediction. By the tender mercy of God, you have received the light of Christ. Shine that light on all you meet and continue to walk into the way of peace.